This is James Woodcock from jameswoodcock.co.uk and today I have decided to create a podcast regarding some of our favourite gaming moments with Sega consoles from the past, including the Master System, Mega Drive or Genesis if you are from over the pond, Sega Saturn and of course the one I hold very dear to my heart, the Sega Dreamcast. Accompanying me is uh, two guests, and that's two new guests. Please welcome John Boyle from cubedfree.com, which is actually a Nintendo-based website, but John admits he's also a bit of a Sega nut as well, so welcome, John. Hey. And last but not least, joining us is Jam from Girl Gaming Group, Fragdolls UK. Welcome to the show, Jam. Hello, thank you very much. So, first of all, I think when we're talking about Sega, there's one character we have to start off with, and that is, of course, Sonic the Hedgehog. So, what are your memories of Sonic the Hedgehog, Jam? Oh, God, where do I start? Um, I suppose I actually have most fond memories of Sonic 2, and it was Christmas, my brother and I running downstairs, falling over the Mega Drive, and just seeing that, the special stage especially, and Tails, it was such a great character and see i'm already blubbering i'm <laughs> 20 seconds of talking about sonic and i'm already a mess well you have the tissues prepared <laughs> um but yeah i mean i think with mario he's definitely one of the biggest gaming icons ever well recently he's just celebrated his 15th anniversary so that's some going well i mean i'm i'm not sure how you two feel about the whole uh shadow character mm. yeah. bad move bad. yeah because I think the whole point of Sonic and indeed Sega is that it's it's all about sun, it's all about happiness, it's all about childhood, and it's just Sonic with a, a gun running around doing bad things. No, you know, <laughs> to people it, as well. Mm. It, it just doesn't sit easily with me. No, that was a bit random to say the least. And what about you, John? What are your earliest memories of Sonic? Um, probably Sonic Two as well. Sonic Tuesday. I was I was there, my local electronics boutique. They had a, a large man in a Sonic outfit who I met and I was extremely pleased about and uh, picking up the game and going home and it was just it was so different to anything that had gone before it. When you look at games like Mario or like Alex Kidd and then there was Sonic and it was fast and bright. There seemed to be new colours that you'd never seen before and it was so fast and I think for me it was the first real game that I can remember having a vague cool factor to it. Before that, gaming had just been gaming, but with Sonic, if you had it, then you were someone, and if you didn't have it, then you were a no one. Mm, yeah. Definitely. I mean, I suppose Zool tried to be cool as well, but obviously didn't quite work out. I completely <laughs> know what you mean. I mean, he had the, the cool little trainers, and he had the cool hair, and, and I suppose the speed factor also added to the whole cool element. He was edgy. It was completely different from Mario, wasn't it? And that's what Sega needed. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, prior to that, they tried a few attempts at a, a mascot and they'd never worked out because they were trying to copy him. They were trying to create their own Mario. Simply by going down a different avenue, they, well, they, they essentially created modern gaming, I think, with Sonic. It, was, it wasn't clunky and it wasn't slow. It was slick and fast and it was everything that the market needed. I remember getting Sonic 1 for the Mega Drive, and that was the game that came with my console. 
And I just remember sitting back in awe, the graphics, the the presentation, the music, the sound, everything just seemed so robust. And my dad, who was no gaming fan whatsoever, could even appreciate that this game had something about it, and that was saying a lot. So Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was of course a sequel, and uh, it just basically nailed down everything Sonic 1 didn't maybe quite have, didn't it? It just made, it felt like the very first Sonic game, and I mean, I know there was one before it, but it introduced... Uh, everything that is now just so synonymous with it, even the sidekick and Tails, and there were there were vague cutscenes where you saw the enemies coming in and the boss fights were grander. It was it was fantastic. I even introduced the Death Egg, didn't it? Which was a staple for the series for a bit. Mm. Actually, I just have to declare my Tails love right now that uh, <laughs> I I once actually made a furry bright orange Tails costume and walked around in public in it. How old were you, though, at the time? <laughs> uh, this is last year. Oh, right. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, and come on, you've got to tell them about your handbag. It's, mm. Well, it's, it's not a handbag. It's, you know, it's, it's like a, a satchel thing. And um, you can get it in a little place in Manchester. And it's got Sonic on it. I mean, it's just the best thing ever. Well, there's no argument, so it's got Sonic on it. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I thought I just scared you both into silence then. <laughs> well, you maybe didn't. you have. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, I've lost my trailer for it. <laughs> 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 I was just so enthusiastic, John. That was so good. <laughs> well, all that anybody has to say is Sega, and then I, I just start dribbling. I mean, one of the things I really liked about this podcast is being able to go back and look at all the games that Sega was responsible for. You just forget how many classic titles are thanks to them. I mean, uh, you know, you've got uh, Choo Choo Rocket, Golden Axe, uh, Space Channel 5, Res, Shining Force. I, I didn't even know. And Shining Force was, uh, Shining Force 1 and 2, two of my favorite RPGs ever. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. The spread of games that have been on their consoles. Because Sega's generally thought out to be this arcade company. It's all high score. But when you look at the games, I mean, even you look at games like Echo the Dolphin and things like The Jungle Book and The Master System, Aladdin, fantastic games, big name games. But were so deep as well, you'd really get your teeth into them. So why do you think that the Dreamcast didn't work? Uh, I think that the Saturn Mega CD and 32X killed it just suck the, the money out of Sega. They could not advertise it in any way, shape or form. Because everyone that plays a Dreamcast loves it. Even mm. if they're the most ardent Sony fanboy, you can show them everything from Choo Choo Rocket to Dead or Alive to Soul Calibur, Crazy Taxi, Shenmue, which is my particular favourite, and they, they just think it's an amazing console. That was very different though, wasn't it? At the time when the Dreamcast was being marketed and it was there, there was just nobody that interested. I had one and a friend had one, but we had difficulty finding anyone else who really had any interest in that particular console. That, that was the thing. Was it marketed that well? I mean, I, I don't no. think so at the time. It certainly wasn't. But everyone seems to have really fond memories of it now. I mean, I remember <laughs> when uh, they started advertising the, the Dream Arena and I think they ran into legal problems or something because the advert said you could play with anyone which wasn't the case and and after that I don't really remember any adverts for the Dreamcast at all. I remember um, oh, what do you call it, like, there was a film out where there was someone in a it was computer game based and 
it began with an X, I think, anyway. And I remember they really pushed with that, and if you got the DVD, you got this um, DVD with it that showcased a lot of the new games coming out for it and a lot of the old games for it. But that was the only advertising they really did. Basic advertising, radio adverts or TV adverts, just didn't happen after the launch. And the bottom line is you've got to actually tell people what this console's about. For me, I ended up owning two Dreamcast consoles, and sadly they both broke down. Oh dear. dear. Rest in peace. Yeah, and uh, after that I I just wasn't willing to shed out the cost for a, a third console. And especially when the Dream Arena started to die, PSO was one of my favourite games. And, and like you said, there was there was barely any support. Well, I mean, once the Dream, once Fancy Star Online died, wasn't the console essentially dead anyway? Because I mean, Fancy Star Online kept going until well into the GameCube's lifespan. Yeah, it was. It's odd. Um, after I, I moved on from the Dreamcast, so to speak, and I would have friends say, "Oh, yeah, they did this on on Dream Arena when it was Halloween," or and you just think, God, it's still going. Oh, the, oh, I mean, I was playing like Quake 3 Arena and Fantasy Star Online well into what would be termed as the next generation of consoles. And you know, I remember getting my new Dream Key through as well, which was extremely exciting. That was about two years after it died. <laughs> and I looked online and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, this will actually let you have your own ISP. It was, it was great. It gave almost a second boost. Why did the UK get a slower modem, though? Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> we, d- we never even got the broadband modem, which they released eventually. It was lovely, it was it was blue, and it was so shiny and fast, and I never got it. Oh, dear. Sorry, are we talking about Sonic again? Blue, shiny, fast. Ah. Oh, I wondered what you were talking about there for a second. <laughs> well, talking of Sonic, what do we make of the whole Dr. Robotnik versus Dr. Eggman thing? Mm. Don't that, care. I'm- Really, just don't care. It's yeah, just... but Dr. Eggman, what? Oh, f- Are we supposed to be scared? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's not really scary anyway, let's be honest. Well, true, but, it's... you know, Dr. Robotnik is a hell of a lot better than Dr. Eggman. It's it's kind of just sums up the whole turn that the Sonic series has taken since it really after Sonic Adventure. He's Dr. Eggman now and everyone's got American accents and... Oh. What have happened to Mobius? Whatever happened to... Do you remember Sonic the comic back in the day? Oh, yes. Yeah, and the cartoon. <laughs> they had they had like, this huge backstory to it, but the games just ignored that, and I, I just think it's a real shame. There's so much potential for a series, and they've just thrown it away. I think at the moment, maybe Sonic is having a bit of an identity crisis. I, I get the impression they're not quite sure what to do with him. As Shadow the Hedgehog has proven. Hmm. Well, Sonic Wildfire seems to be a step in the right direction. No other characters, it's just Sonic. It's all about speed, it's things like preset camera angles, which seems to be going back to the roots a wee bit. Did you, you play the uh, the Sonic DS game? I saw yeah. Sonic Rush, mm. oh yes. Brilliant game. It's incredibly fast, it's faster than any Sonic game I've ever played. I even don't like, as much as I love the game, I don't like the actual style of Sonic in it. See, the, when they did Sonic Adventure, they gave him this brush of paint, and they made him jaggier and, and grin a lot. I don't see what was wrong with the old Sonic character. Well, this is it. When you go from the 2D to the 3D realm, it just think, oh, how can we change this? Should we change this? And unfortunately, I always think, we will change this, because we can. Mm. I mean, the thing is, not to sound like an OAP, which, let's face it, so many people who talk about Sega, you do start to say, well, in my day, and... <laughs> 
You go for it. Kids these days, when you look back at the way Sonic looked with Sonic 1, I'm not even not sure if that appeals to kids anymore. I think it's too cute. I, I think they do want something edgier and something sharper and something a bit nastier. And really, you could argue, if that's what keeps them alive, is that such a bad thing? If Sega's marketing was up to scratch, they should be able to tell children what they want to see. I mean, you've seen so many companies manage that over the years. Absolutely terrible games. It's marketed in such a way that people think, I need this game. I think Driver 3 is the best example of this. If Sega's marketing really put their heads together, they could have made people really love the old model of Sonic and think, I want to see us in 3D. But they almost admitted themselves that Sonic, no, Sonic 1 to Sonic and Knuckles was lame. Let's get this new Sonic. He's, he's edgy and he will have a gun eventually, and it's just ridiculous. So you think it's, it's purely a matter of marketing? If they put more funds behind it, especially in Europe, then it would have a better effect. Yep. Sega's always been known for either not having enough money for marketing or doing the worst marketing ever. I remember for the Game Gear, their marketing strategy was laughing at the fact the Game Boy's screen had that slight green tinge to it and it showed everything in a shade of green. Mm. And that was their marketing campaign and you <laughs> thought, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you trying to sell this non-aspect of the console, so what, the screen isn't green, you have no games for your console, maybe you should work on that. <laughs> and an extremely poor battery life. I had a Game Gear actually, and it was terrible. It's, it's not comfortable in any way, shape or form, it's absolutely massive. So come on Jam, why do you think the Dreamcast didn't succeed? Uh, I'd probably have to say marketing again, I mean I remember just becoming really frustrated saying well look this new title's out why aren't they promoting it why doesn't anybody know about it i mean we can just speculate exactly how sega works and i i i do wonder that maybe the uh the dreamcast advert maybe they did just plow too much funds into that and then when they had to pull it that was it maybe they just didn't have backup another argument is do we love sega so much because it is fairly marginalised. Yeah, mean, definitely. It, it always has that little underdog tone to it. Maybe we, we like that. Maybe we wouldn't really like it if Sega did go incredibly popular. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think, especially if you're, see if you're really into the Dreamcast community, there was that fantastic kind of Dunkirk feeling of it's, it's us against everyone else. And I think undoubtedly it added to it because there was that word of mouth that... No, the Dreamcast wasn't that popular, but there's this group of fans for it that are extremely fanatical. And if you were part of that, that fan base, it was a great feeling. It actually felt like you knew this great secret. You knew about this console, it was fantastic, no one else knew about it. I think if it was hugely successful, or if they released a console now, and it became hugely successful, it would lose... Sega, in general, would lose some of that, that magic about it. Mm. Ironically, the Dreamcast uh, seems to be more successful since it died out. Yeah. There's more and more people that talk about it in a very fond way than they did at the time. Mm. eBay. Yes. All you, see on there, all you see on there are Dreamcasts for sale and, and people who missed it buying it and then going on message boards or chat rooms and saying, what game should I buy for it? If only they bought it right at the start. So going back to the Mega Drive then, uh, Jam did mention Golden Axe. Now, did you play Golden Axe, John? I yes. certainly did. Oh. oh, sorry. But anyway, I can remember playing it at the arcade. 
and absolutely adoring it there. And the Mega Drive port was very close. It wasn't identical, but it was mm. very close. It was just a fantastic game, wasn't it? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, it was so playable, especially if you got a friend in on it. You could sit for absolutely ages, just playing it over and over again, especially. Once you completed it, I completed it a few times with my friends, and just reset and start again. So playable. That was. I think that kind of epitomised the Mega Drive, though. They had so many games like that were just incredibly replayable at any point. Yeah, I must have spent so much money on the arcade version. I was so chuffed when I spent 20p and I actually completed the game. Nice. <laughs> just one single credit and <laughs> everyone was so impressed I think that was one of those gaming moments you never forget I mean I think the Mega Drive is still easily one of my most favourite consoles I mean uh, when I sold both my Mega Drive and my SNES and the games in a moment of madness and then I found myself buying them back years later I have a lot more Mega Drive titles than I do SNES titles Oh. Mm. so John there's an interesting angle for you. You are actually from a Nintendo website, but here you are doing a Sega-type-related podcast. How <laughs> do you balance the two, Nintendo and Sega? Well, it's not that hard, seeing as Sega don't actually make that many games for the, the GameCube. They, they did a few at the start, and the relationship does seem to be quite close, but I, th- I, th- I think it's quite easy in a way because they, they really follow the same track, both talking about innovation. They both feel like the old guard of of gaming and when you look at things like when Sony entered it and subsequently started ruling the gaming market the feeling wasn't that the methods that they've used to get there were bad or that they don't deserve it the method was that this is Sega and Nintendo's market and Sony have no place here completely yeah I can completely relate to that when when Sega went out of the hardware market all the Sega fans seemed to think right okay we've got to back up Nintendo now Sony's in the market. We've got to support Nintendo through this. Oh, yeah, I mean, half of the people went to kind of Nintendo. Half the people went to the Xbox because it was seen as kind of Dreamcast 1.5 almost. But no one like threw their weight behind Sony. They were hated. Why do you think that was? I'm not sure. I think it was because when you compared the PlayStation 1 to the Saturn, it wasn't a case of it was a fantastic console. It was a case of it just marketed at that club audience and got really popular that way. When you actually looked at the Saturn from a technical point of view and from a game's point of view, it was superior. And when you looked at the Dreamcast especially and compared it to the PlayStation 2, the Dreamcast destroyed it. and It still does to this day in terms of the quality of games and even the quality of graphics. I mean, if you look at... I remember seeing online a few months back a comparison of Soul Calibur 1 on the Dreamcast compared with Soul Calibur 2 on the PlayStation 2. And the Dreamcast version just looked so much better. And that was the problem. Everyone who liked Sega knew that they were better and they should be doing better. And there was this feeling that this little upstart Sony had just come in and kind of wrecked the fun because these consoles should have put Sega to where they once were. I suppose also because nobody expected it. When I heard about Sony coming into the market, I thought, what, like the, the Walkman? No, they're they're not going to get anywhere, and mm. they proved everybody wrong. Definitely, well, they were supposed to be working with Nintendo for the their CD-based console, and when they pulled out, I thought, nah, not a chance. Nintendo are the successful ones in that partnership. They'll just they'll make a small console. It'll be like a it'll be like a CDI 
I don't think anyone truly believed how huge they'd become. Sega Saturn didn't actually have a true unique Sonic title, did it? It had Sonic Jam, which was uh, Sonic 1, 2, 3, Knuckles and all the rest of it, and even a 3D type of incarnation minigame to it. But it didn't have its unique Sonic title, which was probably a problem for the Sega Saturn, but it did have Nights Into Dreams. Now, did either of you play that one? Of course. No, sadly, I didn't own a Saturn. Um, It's funny you should say about the PS1 and the Saturn. I remember, to this day, walking into a game shop with my brother. We could only afford one of them. And I so wanted a Saturn. He said, no, no, get get the PlayStation. Get the PlayStation. That's going to last longer. We're going to get more enjoyment out of that. And eventually he beat me down, and we chose the PlayStation. So... I've never owned a Saturn. Too much well, that's, shame. That's quite strange because I went in with my sister and I could only afford one console. <laughs> and she looked at, she actually looked at, it was a rolling demo of, um, I cannot remember, it was a PlayStation racing game, a first gen one, and it did look quite impressive. So, oh, that's excellent, you get that? And I said, no, I like Sega, I'm going to get a Sega Saturn, which, um, I think it's actually quite scary. I think that must have happened up and down the country. We should have swapped siblings. Yeah. I'll say that. Oh, no, please do. Come on, swap. <laughs> so how did you find Nights Into Dreams, John? Because it was, uh, although it was by Sonic Team, it's very different, wasn't it, from Sonic? Nights Into Dreams is a sublime experience. At, at the heart of it, it's just a high school game. It's very simple. But it's just, it's such a striking game, and it, the controls are fantastic, of course. You could get the um, the first analogue stick with it, and you could play it like that. And Sometimes you didn't even go for the high school. Sometimes you could just weave around. The environments were quite quite large for the time. You just weave around in and out, and it felt so so free. And I th- just It was a fantastic game. It, it was one of those games where when you look back in 20, 30 years at gaming, that will be the game that you'll say will characterise the Saturn. And in fact, it was so so beautiful and, and so innovative and yet no one knows about it outside of, of gaming circles. Yeah, because unfortunately not many people seem to have owned a Sega Saturn so that wasn't a game they necessarily looked into because of that. And of course at that time it was more common that you would have games specific to one console whereas these days it's quite rare. Exactly. Oh, yeah, it was all about exclusives then. I mean, even if you look at some of the exclusives that the Saturn lost because the Saturn had Tomb Raider for it. So it was originally exclusive for the Saturn. It had Resident Evil. And bit by bit, they lost them and they went to Sony. It was, though. It was a very... depressing, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> so depressing. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I knew the Sega Saturn was uh, onto a rocky path when they said Tomb Raider 2 wasn't coming out on the Sega Saturn because it was too slow. Oh. And I love the original Tomb Raider. I saw that, actually. Good game. Pity about all the sequels. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, 2 and 3 weren't too bad, but the original was by far the best. Yeah. Have you managed to play Tomb Raider on any other platform, Jam? Um, I have to say I prefer Tomb Raider 2. Oh. I mm. think. I think I'd have to go for Tomb Raider 2. What? But, what is that, then? Um, I don't know. It's probably just the one that I got into the most, but after 2 just wasn't fussed. Um, Kit's been going on a lot about uh, the new Tomb Raider. But uh, I think I'll have to reserve judgment until I get my hands on it. Yes, yeah, so I've got the new Tomb Raider. It's it's good. It goes a lot to the original and to a certain extent the second and third game as well. But it's incredibly short. 
and the actual Tomb Raider elements, most of us anyway, Jan, loved from the very first one, are there, but they're not done that great, and it's not there enough. Mm. But what actually drew me to the Sega Saturn was Sega Rally. Oh, fantastic. I remember playing that in arcades as well, and it's just, it was the first example I remember of a game moving from, a modern game moving from the arcades to the consoles and retaining that kind of playability in multiplayer. Because the two-player split screen, you could sit for hours just spinning round and round and round and round those tracks. Yeah, I dread to think how many hours I spent playing that game, but there was only actually four courses, weren't there, as I remember? Yep, it was a very short game, but, but every race again, was different. It, yeah, it was all about time attack, and uh, yeah, mm. the first one was all about the mod, wasn't it? Mm, definitely. Just it was, that, it was that experience, first time you played it, and it was like the arcade on your TV and running through and doing a handbrake turn right round a U-bend perfectly with the mud kicking up it was all a, it was that was the perfect example of next gen gaming it's that brilliant looks and that playability combined it's just it's again a shame that the Sega Saturn didn't come through and that's probably why the Dreamcast didn't come through because it's had that backbone of the 32X didn't really take off the Mega CD didn't really take off the Sega oh. Saturn struggled and the Dreamcast as great as the console was probably the best since the Mega Drive mm. it just didn't pull away did it Nah, well, I mean, the, the 32X and the Mega CD really, I mean, the damage it did to Sega was irreparable. It's Sega's image as being Sega can do no wrong was destroyed. And two easy, easy console mistakes. So we'll move now to another Mega Drive game, so Jam hopefully has already played it. <laughs> Quackshot, have you played that, you two? It was mm. a cute game. Qu- no. Never played it. Ah, it was uh, Donald Duck. And Don't let that put you off. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, quite a few Disney games came out on the Mega Drive, and that was probably because they had Nintendo on the other side with Mario and all their characters. So it's, it probably was an easy way for them to get all these extra characters that people already loved. And Donald Duck was, of course, one of them in Quackshot. Well, I remember Mickey Mouse in the Castle of Illusion. And World of Illusion as well. well which were brilliant games, but I cannot remember Quackshot. Well, Quackshot was actually the first game I played on a Mega Drive. It wasn't mine, it was a friend who showed me, and I just spent two days solidly playing Quackshot until I actually completed it. <laughs> and it was basically Donald Duck with lots of plungers. Yeah, that's that's all I remember. Plungers? Plungers, yeah. They used to attack enemies with plungers, and uh, then you could get an upgrade for them, and then you could climb walls. Why? What was what was the plot premise behind it? I don't know. He wasn't a plumber or anything. I mean, it was basically <laughs> Donald Duck dressed as Indiana Jones, although it never actually stated it was that sort of thing for copyright, I'm sure. But yes, Donald Duck and Plungers was Quackshot, essentially. But it was a very, very good game. If we're um, talking about good games on the Mega Drive, we have to mention Streets of Rage. Oh, of course. Yes. Absolutely Street. have to. So much oh, amazing, amazing fun. I wish they'd make a new one, even though I know that it would crash and burn and they'd mess it up and it would be awful, but it would be wonderful if they got it right. It was the first real violent game I can remember. When you look when you look back, you know, it was on the streets and you could use real weapons to hurt people and getting it, you felt like a rebel, definitely. And you've got the crazy whip ladies who, <laughs> who oh, electrocuted yes. you. That was in the <laughs> second one. Oh no, they were in the first and the second, weren't they? Yeah. Oh. It was a bit bizarre, wasn't it, in the first one? You had the, uh, was it the A button and the police car come along and the guy would shoot a missile out. <laughs> I, I always found that bizarre, but then the second it one, was. they totally got rid of that, didn't they? 
Understandably Actually, it, so. It does remind me of one thing that I do quite like about old consoles. It's the slowdown. Do you remember when, when you pulled the police car up, if you did it where you did a flying kick, then you hit the button, and you just get masses upon masses of explosions, and it would take you about five hours to hit the ground <laughs> again. Or if you were attacking a flamethrower, again, five hours to flying kick through the air. It was so satisfying. Yeah, we never looked at it as a, de- a bad thing, did we? It was like, wow, look at this. Yeah, it, you know, it showed <laughs> it you that your console was working damn hard to please you. I think I, I think that was it. it. Was the it was a skill factor? Could I make the the console slow down? Mm. And if you could, then wow, you're you're clearly good at this game. So out of the three, which was your favourite? Number two. Yes, I'd say number two as well. How about you, John? I'd say one for nostalgia factor. Uh, I found the music very good in one. Yeah, music's excellent. And of course, there's there's the infamous third one, the trilogy completed. No one's played. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't it wasn't awful. It's just I think one number one and number two were so good. Yeah. It was easy for number three to fail. The thing is, is that now three is highly collectible. Is it? Mhm. Three's quite collectible only. Rose-tinted glasses, that's what it is. Must be something about the number three, because I didn't find Sonic 3 that great either. Sonic 3, when put into Sonic and Knuckles, is an experience to have. Absolutely brilliant game. Uh, I I actually boycotted it. Why? Because I was very, very, very sad. And uh, I love Tails so much, I felt Knuckles was kind of muscling in. And it's like, hey, back off. Tails is the Sonic. (laughs) And so I refused to play it. I was I was a very messed up child. But when you put Sonic 3 into Sonic and Knuckles, you can play as Tails in Sonic and Knuckles. Yeah, but Knuckles shouldn't be there. He shouldn't even be a factor. He should just go away. But, With oh. s- stupid Amy as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I had Sonic CD and I absolutely hated Amy. <laughs> oh, Sonic CD. That's an g- excellent game. Only yeah, I wasn't sure about the past and future bits. It worked really well in my opinion. Oh I, no, I, that didn't do anything for me at all. I like the different music it used. Obviously, it was CD audio, mm-hmm. which was very novel at the time. But uh, the past and future, no, it didn't do anything for me at all. Those those cool vaguely anime cutscenes at the start and the finish of it as well. Uh, yes, I'll not break into the theme song or anything. I will hold back. Uh, would that be the American theme song or the Japanese one? I'll probably be- know them both, which is the worrying thing. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually had, uh, I never had the Sega CD, I had Sonic CD on the PC. Oh no, I had the Mega CD. Uh, well, you're a true Sega nut. You've had the 32X and the Sega CD and the Game Gear, the Mega Drive, the Saturn, the Dreamcast. I think you I have had... a Master System? Yeah, of course. Well, you've had everything pretty much. I, I, actually, you? I, actually, I actually had two Master Systems at one point, because I had the first one with the cards, and then I got the second one and got rid Good of my first one. God, man, what do you like? I've also I've also tried them. Um, they released these three D goggle glasses things for it. Oh, you didn't. And oh uh, yeah, but well, I didn't. One of my friends had it, but you could try like some of the games out, and they actually worked quite well for the time. Outrun three D was quite playable. Oh dear. <laughs> you are a legend, sir. <laughs> That's good. It's, this I think this is the only place where I'd actually get kudos for having this much Sega merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere else, I just get pointed and laughed at. So, anybody play Olympic Gold on the Mega Drive? Nope. Nope. 
Oh dear. Well, I'll run over this very quickly then. It was obviously Olympics and uh, bashing AB and AB as fast as you can, and that uh, has probably left me a lot of problems in my music playing over the years, playing Olympic gold for <laughs> so many hours with a friend. Just insane. That's probably why Olympic games have never really taken off on consoles, because of the button bashing that is involved. I remember yes, I- Daily Thompson's Milk Race was like that. I can't remember what that was on. And exactly the same, just push buttons like crazy. No, I mean, I can only remember track and field being like that in arcades, which was extremely addictive, though, so I sympathise. Yes, I must have gone through quite a few controllers just by playing that one game. <laughs> I, suppose I'll, I suppose we, we should probably mention Res, just because Yes. it made such an impact, and I'd like to hear what you two thought of it. I never actually played it, so I'll pass on this one to John. You've never played Res? I'll make a point of playing it (laughs) as soon as I can. You'd better. It's a fantastic game. It's. I really, I really hope that they they do another one, especially. Oh yeah, I I think kind of. I think a sequel on the Wii would be kind of gaming Nirvana for me. It's so stylized and so, but so different at the same time. It was quite strange playing such a, a cool, cutting-edge game that you knew was completely niche and no one else would play. So, come on then, John. What is Res? Explain it to me. Um, it's... Oh God, how do you put it? Jam? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> BT Music Man Baby Spear... <laughs> Um, I guess it's a tough one to explain. Then. You have to play it. It's the kind of game you can't explain to someone. Although there's a huge music aspect to it, so you will probably get more out of it than I did. All right. But it's an experience. It's, it's what gaming's all about. Gaming's all about those. When in 15 years you'll be sitting talking to someone, you say, "I remember playing Res for the first time." It's like that. I think that's one of the great things about Sega is that it created so many games that got you so passionate about them. I'm I'm not sure if any other company, maybe Nintendo, has managed to make so many games that evoke such strong feelings. Mm, Definitely. I'll go along with that. I I remember um, I had to interview someone from Sega, a Fragdoll interview about OutRun, uh, the latest OutRun game on uh, Xbox, and I was such a gibbering wreck because... (laughs) I have such great memories uh, of Outrun. It's just such a wonderful title to me. It's just the sand, the music, the sun, fun to play. It just brought together so many things that I think feature in so many Sega games. I never completed Outrun. But one day I was playing, my dad was in the room and my sister, and we used to play Hot Seat. And my sister unwittingly completed it. And the sheer anger levelled at her from the two of us was spectacular. I loved the game. I loved um, Magical Sunshine. Is I think the most iconic piece of gaming music outside the Mario tune. Just absolutely brilliant. So Some before, iPods. So before Sega demise, then were you, or did you have any Nintendo consoles at the time, or were you pure Sega for and for? Um, I had a NES, but I only had one or a few games on it. I had a Game Boy, that was my primary um, handheld, but apart from that, 
No, the SNES was just. Pure, then? Yeah, I mean the SNES never really interested me. It wasn't a fa- it wasn't a case of I'm not owning a SNES because, you know, I'm I'm to elite gamer. You know, it was it was just a case of the games looked boring. They were all um, there was nothing that really grabbed me. Same with I mean the N64 was just at the time I just thought it was laughable. Have you ever tried getting two colour blind friends to sit down and play Choo Choo Rocket? I don't think so I have to. I can't say I have fun. jammed, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe you could explain this experience. <laughs> oh, it's just so much fun. and um, You know, they, they don't know if they're killing each other, they don't know if they're killing the enemy. and oh, it, it, It's great. I, I, I kind of hope that the games publishers don't pay too much attention to colorblind people even though i know they should it's just so much fun if you actually manage to find two and put them together on a game <laughs> that's possibly the strangest thing i've ever heard in a podcast yes <laughs> it's, a, it's a new one on me yeah indeed you should try it i love shooter rock i love playing it online it was so addictive mm. it cost a lot though because it was in in the uk it was a pay-as-you-go subscription to bt oh so you know if you wanted to play Chichi Rocket online all night, you paid for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Dreamcast did have Unreal Tournament and Quake 3 as well. Unreal wasn't online, though. Yeah, that was a shame. But it did have a keyboard and mouse, which now would be considered quite controversial, I reckon. Unless you had your Dreamcast set up through the VGA input to a monitor, and yeah. you got it to desk, then it was fine. But if you were sitting back on a sofa, where are you supposed to put the keyboard and mouse? Or when you played Quake 3 online as well, if you're a keyboard and mouse gamer, you could spot you a mile off. The norm was to play with the pad, and the people who played with the the keyboard and mouse combo were kind of ostracised. With Fancy Star Online, you were just more comfortable playing with the keyboard sitting on your lap and the control in your hand, so it worked. But with the first person shooters, it was um, it was controversial at the time. I think of the Sega Dreamcast titles I fondly remember, Dead or Alive 2 was probably one of the most graphically impressive. <laughs> I remember... Mm buying that game just randomly. I don't, hadn't even heard of Dead or Alive 1 at that point. And I thought, oh, this looks quite good. I was dying to play a fighting game because Virtua Fighter 3 on the Dreamcast was very, Ugh. very, very bad. <laughs> so I thought, yes, okay, we'll try Dead or Alive 2. And I put it in and I could not believe what I was seeing. It was just incredible. Oh, yeah, definitely. How do I they did... keep them up like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, the whole polygon count on the the boob area was uh, certainly quite a lot to talk about. I heard that for for Dead or Alive One, I don't know if this is true. Maybe one of you heard it that they had a person on the developing team specifically doing the movement of the boobs. That's I, all he did. It had I, its own physics calculations. I heard that, and I think if I remember correctly, the official Saturn magazine had an interview with him. No. I, I'm pretty sure because I had Dead or Alive one and I was quite into it, and I think I, I think I definitely remember an interview with someone of that ilk. I don't know why though, because in the Saturn the graphics were simply not good enough to show them realistically. It looked absolutely bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it didn't look quite as bad in the second one, but uh, when you put up the age, say <laughs> what age you were, the higher it was, you could actually make them bounce even more. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> And sadly enough, I did put my age up to 99. Yeah, I think I actually did put it up to 99 as well, just to see what would happen as much yeah, as anything. exactly. I didn't, see much, po- I didn't see much of a difference, to be honest. Yeah, well, how those girls didn't get knocked out by it, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, these fighting women, 
But anyway, I think we'll move away from boob <laughs> for jam's sake. And <laughs> but Dead or Alive 2 was a really good game on the Dreamcast, and of course so was Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur still, I think, the best beat-em-up there's ever been. It beats the sequel, hands down. I had the sequel on the Xbox, and it just wasn't the first one at all. Oh, see, I've got I've got it on the GameCube, and the GameCube's supposed to be the best version out of all three, but still, I'll go back and put Soul Calibur into play. It's just so much more playable, more balanced as well. Jam, have you played that one? I, I have, but I just never really got into it. I suppose I was just still too big a Street Fighter fan that I didn't really have time for another beat-em-up. They had Street Fighter on the Dreamcast as well. They had it online, if I remember correctly. I think so. Is it Street Fighter Alpha Three? They had, you could play it online. Oh, that's I'm not sure if it churned out again and again more Street Fighter titles. It just got stupid. Even now, you have sort of Street Fighter Two versus X E Alpha Special Capcom. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so certainly mem- getting lots of different titles to help spin them off. Mm. Uh, the, the Street Fighter Two is still the absolute pinnacle of 2D beat'em ups as well. But what about Jet Set Radio? Another brilliant Dreamcast oh, game. Loved that game. Absolutely loved it. That was another one of those games that it was it was so cool, yet so niche. It was mm. just absolutely brilliant. The music, I still hum it. I think that's yeah. what we find, though, with a lot of Sega titles, isn't it? That they're just so radical at times. They're completely different from anything you've seen before. And if that's innovation, then it should be put into Sega slot there. First oh, yeah. Space Channel 5 as well it was kind of like that for me when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you first think, what the hell is this? And then you start playing, you think, ah, this is actually quite fun. I never really got into it as much as my sister did. I did buy it for Christmas and had a few goes, but I don't know. I was, to be honest, regarding Dreamcast, there was only one game for me, and that was Shenmue. And Shenmue 2, of course, but just for me, that was it, gaming-wise. If I could have died after playing that game, I'd have been happy. I feel bad I never completed Shenmue 1. I, I liked it, I just uh, I couldn't get it off my brother. Damn siblings. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever play the sequel? No. Oh. You have to play Shenmue 2. Even if you just play it on its own, you have to play it. You sound so passionate about it, I'm scared you'll break my legs if well, I don't. Well, on, <laughs> on every forum, I'm known as Hazuki-san, which is the main character. And I don't... I don't know what it was. It just struck a chord with me, I think. I remember because the hype around it was was phenomenal, second to none. And the amount of money thrown at it was unheard of at the time. And it, it really shows because the game's so finely crafted and it still stands up today against any title you care to mention. Well, another great Sega Dreamcast game would be Virtua Tennis, I reckon. Oh, yeah, so addictive. Perfect, the, the perfect tennis game. You could do everything. It was like playing Wimbledon. Indeed. I think Top Spin was better than Virtua Tennis, although Top Spin mm. 2 has probably gone a bit on the wayside there. But totally Virtua Tennis. <laughs> oh, well, we can discuss that at length later. <laughs> yeah. But, but Virtua Tennis 1 and 2 were just fantastic for the time. And although it was a, a, little, simpli- a little simplistic on shot choice, it, it was dis- very, very good. See, I disagree. It was simplistic if you made it simplistic. Oh. <laughs> if, you actually, if you actually got into it, you could do it every single shot you wanted to. The graphics were on top to it, in all fairness. I remember Tim Henman looking vaguely like a zombie. But yes, it wasn't the best representation of Paul Tim. No, but I mean, the rest was... It was fantastic. 
the Dreamcast was really that for me. Party gaming and the Dreamcast go hand in hand. Because you could sit with three friends and play all night in virtual tennis and then move to you know, Soul Calibur or even Worms Armageddon, which they also had. And you could just keep playing and playing and playing and playing all these great multiplayer games. Yeah, well, Virtua Tennis was just pure arcade fun, wasn't it? Mm, definitely. Same people who did uh, Crazy Taxi, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I love Crazy Taxi. Yeah. I'm, I'm the king of Crazy Taxi, I must no, say. No, I am the king. I am the king. We must have the competition. Well, wouldn't you be the queen? <laughs> That's a good point. No, because the queen is always lower than the king, and I uh-huh. don't like that. I say, That's screw, good point. screw no, the queen, go I w- to the king. I wouldn't say in Crazy Taxi. I would say you could have two figureheads, although um, an absolute god at it. I put so much time into that. Well, I think we'll call that a day. Thank you to Jam from Fragdolls UK, and of course, John from Q3.com. I hope you've enjoyed our little Sega Nostalgia. 